0: I'm Rick Morton, Lifeline's Vice President of Engagement, and this is the Defender Bible Study. Thanks again for joining us for our continuing study in the book of Ezekiel. This morning we are in Ezekiel chapter 33, and uh, we're uh, kind of hitting a turning point in the ministry of Ezekiel and in the book of Ezekiel. As uh, today, we, um, we want to focus in on Ezekiel's role as, uh, as a watchman in Israel. Now, this is a thing we've talked about a couple of times along the way um, throughout our Bible study is God's call of Ezekiel to be a watchman. And and we know in, in ancient times, the watchman, the responsibility of a watchman was to to sit on the wall and to be in a position to to watch out for and to uh, to care for and protect the people by uh, by creating an opportunity for. Um, the people to know when danger was coming. And so uh, basically God is calling Ezekiel out and reminding him of the call that he's given him to, to be the watchman for Israel, to talk about the coming judgment of God and and to and to do that uh, in a way that he was faithful to that calling. In beginning of verse one, um, the Lord reminds Ezekiel, he says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman. And if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, the sword comes and takes him away. His blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and he did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life but if but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes to take any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will require at the watchman's hand. And so, in other words, um, God is is talking to um, to Ezekiel about his responsibility here. Remember, we God has has rendered um ezekiel mute the only thing he's able to say is that thing that god says to him that he's able to to repeat to the people we're going to see that um that muteness taken away after seven years in this passage um but 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 essentially for seven years ezekiel has been preaching the same sermon to the same people he's been telling the people that god's judgment is coming and that god is not going to spare his judgment and that they need to turn from their sin and they need to turn from injustice and they need to turn back toward god and so over and over and over ezekiel has preached this message and he's had absolutely no no converts and, and so today we see God renewing that sense of urgency. And he's basically saying to Ezekiel, your job is to be faithful to proclaim the message that I have given you. Your job is not to be concerned about what the results are or about what happens. You, you, the blood is not going to be on your hands because you warned the people um, about what it is that, um, that they should do. And I, I want to be careful because I think sometimes we can look at Old Testament passages and we can try to see ourselves in those passages and and kind of make ourselves the the hero of the story or make ourselves the characters. And sometimes we 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 in doing that we miss the point of the passage and we miss the point of what God is doing and what He's trying to reveal to us. But I think this is one of those passages where you can look at God's call to to Ezekiel to be a watchman. And and we can bring that forward and say that has implication for every one of us as followers of Jesus. That that part of our responsibility for for those of us who are who are in Christ and and who've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, our, part of our responsibility is to proclaim that there is a judgment that's coming. In Acts seventeen, um, it it said this way. Um, Luke says to us, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. And, and what he's talking about is the, this this ignorance that caused people to reach out to, to worship things other than God. The, in, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. The day of the Lord is here because of Jesus, right? Now, verse 31, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And so what we what we can draw from this and take away from this is that God has, God has set in motion a process that's going to end with his judging of the world and that you and I have been given the role of, of being watchmen and watchwomen. We're sitting on the wall. We can see the destruction that's coming. And part of what we've been given as responsibility in gospel ministry is to tell the world, That the wages of sin or death is death, that the gift of God is eternal life, and that we only can have that eternal life through Jesus. Um, and, And so throughout the New Testament, we see that Jesus and the disciples are pointing toward a day where everyone who has ever lived is going to be judged, and we need to be people who are faithful to declare that. Um, sometimes today uh, we we know that's an unpopular message, and sometimes today I think, quite frankly, we can shy away from that, and and we don't want to talk about the wrath of God or the judgment of God or what's coming as a result of the the the, the sin that that each of us has borne, but. There's a world that's dying to know in and in a world that's being, die, that's dying to be told the truth that, that we have to talk about just not the benefits of salvation, not the benefits of being adopted into God's family through Jesus. But we've got to be honest about the peril that the world is in and about the destiny and the destination that comes when, when we don't accept and we don't follow Jesus. And so, as we kind of unfold this passage in Ezekiel thirty-three, what we see are some things that I think can help us to to learn some valuable lessons about our responsibility in the gospel. And so, verse first in verses seven through nine, we see that 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 the the watchman is responsible for. Uh, for sharing the warning. And so verses seven through nine essentially are just a repeat of verses one through six. It says, so you son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way. That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn away from his way and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. And so, what do we take away from this for us? One, we have to be, um, present and active in the word, in the work of sharing the gospel. Um, we've got to, to share the, 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 the destination that, that we are headed toward apart from Jesus. We've got to talk about the righteous judgment and, and we've got to talk about hell and eternity apart from God and that that is a, that is a right and righteous consequence for our sin. Um, we we've got to share the truth of God's word and and really not anything else. We can't we can't reshape the gospel. We can't change the gospel. Um, we we have to be kind in the way that we do that. But but it would be unkind for us not to be direct in in taking advantage of the opportunities that we have to build relationships with the people who who live around us, who serve around us, the people that we interact with. Um, and, and and ultimately, this is why this is why we do missions, right? If if it were if it were somehow okay for people not to to hear the name of Jesus and and if they could be rescued from their sins in their ignorance, then it would be literally spiritual malpractice for us to go about taking the gospel to the nations. But in fact, what God has called us to do in taking the gospel to the nations is because people will be judged by the truth of the gospel, whether they've ever heard it or not. And so our responsibility, you and me, is to make sure that the people that we encounter daily in, in our own neighborhoods and our own lives and, and the people to the very ends of the earth and as far as we can go, that we're taking responsibility for making sure that they're hearing the truth of the gospel and that they're hearing about Jesus and about the salvation that can only come through him. Then we also see that, that, that the the watchman has to has to believe the word of God. That Ezekiel was was sharing an unpopular message, and remember, he he for seven years. He, this is the only thing he was able to say. He wasn't able to talk about um, you know trivial matters. He wasn't able to make small talk with people. He couldn't go home and talk to his wife about what his day was like, or, or 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 he couldn't couldn't process the political events that were happening around him. No, the only thing that he was able to say out loud was was whatever God had told him um, about declaring the judgment that was coming to the people. And so verse 10, it says, and you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus you have said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we rot away because of them. How then can we li- can we live? Say to them, as I live declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways for for why will you die, O house of Israel? God God is basically saying that that he doesn't take pleasure in in the destruction of, of people who haven't repented, but, but the righteous part of his character, his inability to dwell, um, in, in the presence of sin, his inability to tolerate sin ultimately, um, causes God to, to, to enact a wrathful judgment against sin because it is, but it is the right thing to do. And he, and, and otherwise he would not be, he would not be who he is and he would not be perfect in all his perfections if he didn't do that. And so then he says to, 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 to Ezekiel, I, I don't take pleasure in this. But he says, and you, son of man, say to your people, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness. So in other words, the next several verses that basically what God unpacks here is he says, even, even one wicked act, even one sinful act, is enough to merit the penalty of death, and and that nobody can be righteous enough not to face this penalty. But on the other hand, when the unrighteous repent, when they turn away from their sin, when they reject their sin and they stop sinning anymore, then the righteous can be can be saved. Now, on the face of that, that that sounds like. Um, good news for a world that is is preoccupied with self-reliance and self-actualization, right? Like all we have to do is make ourselves better and stop sinning and ultimately we can merit the favor of God. But folks, we all know the folly of that, right? We don't have the ability within ourselves to stop sinning. If it were just that easy, then then there'd be churches all over America that had had conquered the sin problem and 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 people all over the place would be walking with God because because if it were just sort of an act of the will and determining that we're not gonna sin anymore, what you and I understand is that, that that it's not just about determining that we're not gonna sin anymore because our because our hearts are sinful. We're broken. But what essentially God is, is laying out in front of Ezekiel here is, is the core truth of the gospel, that, that God requires sinless perfection in his presence, and that even one sin is enough to doom us to to, to eternity apart from God, and that the only condition that, that will allow us to be able to, to dwell in the presence of God forever is sinlessness but praise God, the only one that has been sinless is Jesus. And so you and I, through faith in Christ and through following Christ, through through the truth of the gospel, we have the ability to be able to put on Christ's righteousness. And so in this verse, what we're seeing is Ezekiel is calling uh, the, the sinful to repentance. And that's what you and I need to be doing in, in the way that we're we're putting the gospel message out to our neighbors and to our friends and to our coworkers and to the people that sell us groceries and gas and, 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 and the people that we interact with in, um, in our every day. First John one um, verses eight, and nine, John says it like this. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In verse eight, if, if we say that, 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 that we have no sin, that we've conquered our sin, that we've gotten over our sin, that we've that we found a self-help uh, philosophy that's going to help us take care of our sin. All we're doing is deluding ourselves because because you and I are are broken by sin and we're captivated by our sin. But then he tells us this incredible truth. But in verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That when we repent and when we yield ourselves to Jesus, that God sees no longer our sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. That we put that on, that it becomes our covering, that Jesus becomes our portion, and that what God sees is that thing that we're being transformed into, which is the image of Christ. Verse 10, John says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Very similarly, in verse 17, Ezekiel, God says to Ezekiel, yet your people say the way of the Lord is not just when it is their way, their own way that is not just. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. When the righteous turn and commit sin, we all will die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, He shall live by this and the gospel giving our lives to Christ, yielding to the gospel is acknowledging that we don't have the power within us to turn from our wickedness and to do what is right. But Jesus does and Jesus did and that he's paid the penalty for our sins and that he's bought our freedom and he's bought our place in the family of God. And then ultimately, you know, we, we see this idea played out in front of us that 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 in our world there's this great tendency for people to want to blame God for their unrighteousness. The tendency that when we see something like the, the hurricane and the devastation that we've seen around us, that people, people ask, well, where's God in the midst of that devastation? As we see people that are that are dying from disease and, and, and as as COVID ravages our world. Um, where, where is God in that? And the question, the tendency of the human heart is to ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? But really and truly the question we need to be asking is why should good things happen to bad people? Because at the end of the day, every one of us have sinned, every one of us have alienated ourselves from God, and the fact that we see the shadow of God's goodness in our world that is so irrevocably broken by sin is nothing more than a manifestation of God's grace. And that the greatest manifestation of God's grace is Him sending His own Son, Jesus coming and living a life that you and I couldn't live, dying a death that we deserve to die, in order that we can be raised again with him on the last day and that we will dwell with him forever. If you look in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is, is writing to the church and he says, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you. Verse Chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing with with scoffing, following their own sinful desires." They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? Ever since for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, where is God? If God if God is real, why hasn't he done something about the evil in the world? And the truth is that he has done something about the evil of the world in Jesus and that and that, that, that one day Jesus is going to return verse 5 says for they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of water and through the water by the word of God and that and that by means of, of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished but by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. In other words, we're looking for explanations about where everything come from, comes from and how this world um, continues to endure outside of God that that, that the world wants to, to, to figure out uh, how, how to how to explain life without God. But then Peter says this in verse eight, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Time means nothing to God. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So we are living in the manifold grace of God, in the in the overflowing of God's grace, that you and I have a day today to draw breath. But part of the reason that we've been given this day, that, that the call to us as the church, the reason that we've been given another day to draw breath, is to tell a world that's dying. Out of relationship with Jesus, about Jesus, and, and to proclaim him and to point people toward him. Verse ten then it says, He says, But but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and hev- and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And on that day when Jesus comes and separates the sheep from the goats and judges the world, only those who have confessed and followed Christ will find eternity with him. And so, folks, out of that motivation, let's tell the truth to our friends. Let's tell the truth to our neighbors. Let's plead. Let's plead for for them to open their eyes and to give their lives to Jesus. One last thing I want to want to show you today in in chapter thirty three is that in verses twenty one and twenty two, Ezekiel who has been who's been now seven years without being able to speak any message except um, except the message of the condemnation of the people and and the coming judgment of the Lord that Ezekiel's tongue has been loosed. It says, in the twelfth year of our exile, in verse 21, in the tenth month, on the fifth day of the month, a fugitive from Jerusalem came to me and said, the city has been struck down. So understand that this is this is a messenger coming from the other kingdom saying that the people of God have fallen, that the people of God have been wiped out, that they've been judged, that what you what you know and what you believe is coming to the people of God, what you've been preaching for seven years is coming to the people of God in Babylon. It's happened in Jerusalem. And it says, and now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the fugitive came and he had opened my mouth by the time the man came to me in the morning. So my mouth was open and I was no longer mute. What we see is a magnificent turning point in in the story of Ezekiel, that Ezekiel now will not just have a message of condemnation, but Ezekiel is now going to be preaching a message of restoration and reconciliation. And and the remainder of this book looks forward to the work that Jesus is going to do and what Jesus is going to accomplish. And that while this generation that Ezekiel is speaking to, that he knows that he will have no converts, that he will have no followers. He knows that he has the opportunity to be able to, to, to declare down through the ages the coming salvation that's coming in Christ. As we look at the rest of chapter 33, I think what we're reminded of here is that success in ministry is not judged by the number of people that are converted or the number of people f- that follow. It's not, it's not judged by the size of our church. It's not by, not judged by the magnitude of our ministry. It, it's not judged by anything that we can count. But ultimately, that success in ministry is judged in faithfulness to proclaim the Word of God and to proclaim the truth of God. And that when we follow God's calling to to be in that place that he's called us to and, and to proclaim his word and to be faithful to that calling, we have done all that, all that we can. And so God's focus to Ezekiel in this passage is speak the message and speak the message plainly. The blood of the people will be on your hands if you don't speak the message, but as long as you speak the message, God will be pleased with you. And so I just encourage you today to set in your heart a purpose in your heart that, that this week you're going to leverage the opportunities that God places in front of you with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with your friends, with people at school, with people that you encounter in the community, that you're going to use those opportunities to faithfully be able to point people to Jesus, that you're going to use the word of God in order to, to, to tell people about the, the 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 coming kingdom of God and and the and the Savior who has established that kingdom and and tell them about the work that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. Today we're praying for, or this week we're praying for the country of Taiwan. Um, we want to to continue to pray for um, the the protection of Taiwan from the coronavirus. We want to pray. For, for the degree of political freedom in these difficult days for, for the leadership in Taiwan to be able to make decisions that are necessary in order to protect their people. We want to pray for our partner, Cathwell. Um, we want to pray that the Lord would sustain their work and, and would, uh, would, would, resource them in the work that they're doing with birth mothers and with vulnerable children and that they would remain healthy and safe in these days we want to pray for adoptive families we want to pray that god will continue to raise up adopt adoptive families for, for children, uh, particularly children with special needs in Taiwan. And we want to pray specifically for families that are having the opportunity to travel during this pandemic to bring their children home through adoption. We want to pray for them as they quarantine for 21 days before meeting their child, that God will continue to meet their needs and will encourage them in this time. And we want to thank the Lord that the doors are open in order for for families to continue to, to bring their children home we want to pray that through adoption and and through what God is doing on uh through his people to care for orphan and vulnerable children that the gospel will go forth in Taiwan. We want to pray that that people will be be released from the grip of Buddhism and and ancestor worship and that the gospel will be bring triumph in the lives of people. We want to uh, we want to pray for growth and awareness of this special needs program and we want to pray that God God will raise up advocates for people to To advocate for these um, two children or these children uh, in this program who are created precious in the image of God, we want to pray that God will protect the children of Taiwan as they wait, and that God will place Christian caregivers and foster families into their lives to care for them as as they wait the permanency um, for adoption. Um, We want to pray for um, for the Lord to um, to to prevail upon the hearts of the workers um, at Cathwell, that they'll encourage them to love the children well. Um, we want to pray um, that that there's an openness to, um, to families who who have the desire to want to adopt. Um, and we want to thank the Lord that he continues to provide um, files and opportunities for us to help to place children and that God continues um, to, to provide Families for these children, and we want to pray that God will work in the lives of, of in, in the lives and hearts of families to burden them toward these children, um, many of whom have um, very special needs. And so, Lord, today we thank you, God. We thank you for, uh, for the opportunity to minister in the nation of Taiwan. God, we pray for believers there. We pray for our partner, Cathwell, Lord, as they seek to minister women in unexpected pregnancies, and as they seek to minister to children uh, who are in need of permanency and in need of homes. God, we pray for adoptive families that, that you will burn in the hearts of families to to rise up and, and to meet the needs of children for families uh, that are coming from Taiwan. God, we pray for voices to proclaim this and to help to share about the opportunities for children who are awaiting placement, and God, the opportunity to be able to to grow families through adoption from Taiwan. Lord, we most of all pray that your gospel will be known and that the good news of Jesus will be spread in the nation of Taiwan and God to the far reaches of the world as we proclaim our only hope. Uh, which is Jesus. And so, Lord, today we thank you that we who are without hope, we who are without resource, that, God, we have been given much uh, in the person of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to us today uh, with the Defender Bible Study. And we're going to be continuing next week in our study of Ezekiel, picking up with chapter 34. Uh, and and so we, uh, we hope you have a great week and that the Lord blesses your week, and we look forward to meeting back with you again here next week. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at infolifelinechild.org.